Hey folks, dropping in for just a second here. I'm telling you, check the show notes of this episode for reviews and tasting notes of all the whiskeys coming out from Doc Swinson's in the next couple of days and weeks. Uh, it's going to be at least six, maybe more. And use the Whiskey Ring exclusive discount code in the show notes for 10% off your order at docswhiskey.com. There's going to be a link to that. The code is WEDDINGRING10, and it is active only through October 3rd. That's through October 3rd. Use code WEDDINGRING10 for 10% off your order at docswhiskey.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of the Whiskey Ring Podcast. Today, we've got a returning guest. We've got Jesse Parker from Doc Swinson's here to talk about just what's been happening since the last time he was on the podcast. It's about uh, about a year ago, almost. And since then, he and the Doc Swinson's team have been just crushing it with the finishes, been coming out with uh, six, seven, a couple more finishes uh, since then, all of which deserve some time, but we're going to focus on three of them today. But that's all that to say. Jesse, welcome back on. Hey, David. Thanks. Glad to be here. Yeah, I think the first podcast we did was one of the first podcasts I have ever done, actually. So full circle one year later, and I'm excited. Yeah. Yeah, it was, you know, it's great to not only have you back on to talk about what's been happening, but uh, to really see, you know, you're getting recognition at award shows, you're getting uh, more distribution, um, exploring more pairings between bourbons and rise and different finishes. And it's been really impressive to see from a consumer standpoint, uh, just how much growth you've had in the past year. So uh, tell me what's been going on. Yeah, thank you. That's actually really great to hear because, you know, most of the time I'm, I'm here in the lab just blending up new products and figuring out what what uh, whiskeys I think will age best in which kind of barrels. And I do this, you know, a year sometimes plus in advance, and I never know what people are really going to think about it. Uh, so so it's always kind of funny, like, you know, several months down the road, I'll start getting feedback like, oh, that was really good, actually. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> um but uh, I mean, what's going on, I guess, here at Doc Swinson's? We're just trying to keep plugging away at making really cool spirits. Uh, that's the, the real goal. Um, like you said, we've, we're trying to release more and more products um, to figure out which ones we more consistently want to release throughout the year. So there's kind of a working on like a release schedule we're hoping to get into. So instead of dropping eight new eight new finishing casts on our customers all at once and being like, wait, that's like all of Brent <laughs> or something like that, we can maybe smooth that out a little more through the year too, um, which I which I think uh, will be a really good thing, especially for us here too. Very good. And yeah, if, you, if uh, you're listening and you haven't seen, um, I'll see if I can find that picture and, and I'll post it with, uh, with the episode, but the distribution map, that you put out for these new releases that was, you know, the color coding with the States and everything was one was brilliant because it's really easy to show, um, you know, who was going to be disappointed and who was not, but, um, <laughs> you know, you have no idea also, how many emails we go through. <laughs> uh, I bet. I bet there. I think I commented on, on Instagram that uh, one of my favorites is going to be in Kentucky and it's going to be like just after I was there, I was there last week as of the recording. Oh. So, um, so I'll have to see if I can get a friend to, you know, drive it up to me or something and we'll go from there. But I absolutely. Yeah. I mean, most of these batches are, you know, 200 to 600 bottles a piece. So if you mm -hmm. can imagine pretty limited where they can go. So we try and hopefully mix them up throughout each release, <laughs> different yeah, states. Absolutely. I mean, you're, it, you said two to 200, 600, it's only one, two, maybe three barrels in a batch. Yep. Um, so you know, now that I'm thinking about that that map, 
is, you know, do you have input into where things go? And if so, how are you deciding where certain products go? Yeah. So, so fortunate enough for me, I mostly leave that to my sales guy, Steve. Uh, he's the mastermind behind actually the map idea anyway. So I'll give him props. Uh, he'll be ha happy to hear that. Um, and he primarily decides on where the, the, each batch is going to go. Um, oftentimes it has to do with like, you know, if we've seen a lot of love in certain states, we'll try and focus on giving them some, you know, like some bonus points, basically, um, <laughs> if we can. Um, but but ultimately, I think the idea is to spread the wealth and get as many states in the in the in the cycle from each release and just make sure everybody gets a chance to get a little bit of something. Um, and of course, um, because we had so many disappointed <laughs> customers when it came to only getting a couple of cases in one state versus another. Um, we did start our online store over the last year, uh, so that'll help uh, you if you can't get it. You could go onto our online store and, and have a bottle shipped to you if you're in, I think it's like 39 states we could ship to. Um, so, uh, and that's usually where we try and put them first anyways. So you could, you know, a couple cases will be always allocated to that store. Fair, fair. Yeah, I was thinking about, I, I decided to just pull up the map because it was, it was driving me nuts. <laughs> try to remember. Um but you know the one that I was definitely looking for most was the um, you'll pronounce this better the Pinot de Charente. Yeah, Pinot de Charente. I'm not Charente. French, so <laughs> Charente. Huh? Yeah, for you the longest the, time I said part. it completely wrong, actually. Um, but uh, I finally decided to to make sure I get it right <laughs> before I start doing all these <laughs> podcasts. So <laughs> yeah, all all good. So you know we got to give props to it's going to go to Kentucky, Southern Illinois. Mm -hmm. Just testing my state knowledge now. Um, Southern Colorado, Southern Minnesota, and Washington state looks like. So um, I will have to find someone in either Illinois or or Kentucky or see if I can find on the on the online store. I think New York's one of those states that you ship to. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure as well. Um, you can always go to our, our you know docswhiskey.com and it should should more or less tell you where we could go. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, the the question came to me though as to you know where you decide to do things because. One of the uh, two yeah. that are coming to New York is um, one that we're not going to talk about uh, on this episode necessarily, but the the Smoke on the Water release. Yes, which is, you know the rye when rye whiskey finished in Scotch quarter casks mm -hmm. uh, from uh, from Ilo, one hundred fourteen point two proof, uh, and uh, you know I did quite enjoy it, and I was thinking to myself if I wanted to put out an Isla finished, so something peated, smoky. Um, you know, how would I decide which states to put that in? So even though you said you're pushing it off to the sales guys, you know, that that's, you know, that's you actually, how you think about it? that's actually really funny because there's been some internal conversation. I mean, we're, first of all, we're a teeny company. We're kind of figuring it as we go, to be totally honest. So um, part of it is we have these great relationships with lots of little small distributors throughout the country. Um, and of course we like to send them, you know, samples so they could try the product and see what they like the most, you know, and there's some uh, distributors that we work with, like, for example, like PM in New York um, mm -hmm. that really like to curate some pretty awesome, like unique products for their clients. Um, usually small badge. It's like absolutely handpicked by their team. Um, so if they come across something that they find is really interesting uh, and delicious, they'll, potentially pick up on it. And I think that was one that they, they really liked the idea because it is so um, fairly abnormal, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I don't know how many people have made anything like that. I know there's a couple on the market I have come across, but it's been years since I've seen one. Um, and if it was, you know, even remotely good <laughs> is the other question. Yes. Um, 
And that one was a little bit more harebrained in the first place. But but to go back to your question, um, there's been some internal conversation about, you know, each region has its almost kind of its own tastes, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, you might have something, you know, for example, and, and don't, this is data driven by any means what I'm about to say, but, you know, if, if there's a specific group, you know, in some of the Southern states that really prefer something a little bit more like sweet um, or molassesy, we can definitely attempt to target um, that region with a specific kind of finish because we think it will work better there versus the Northeast that might like something, I don't know, uh, fruitier, for example, or, or the West Coast that that uh, might like more herbaceous, for example. So um, we have talked about that. We just don't think we have quite enough uh, resources to figure out what the best region for each product is at this point in time. So this is part of our learning process is putting these different batches in different regions, understand how they move and what can impact that, and then maybe adapt a little bit later. But right now we just really like working with our distributors. Um, And if they're like, well, we really love this. We think our clients will like that. That's a pretty good answer for us. So uh, that's usually where we'll be like, okay, great. We'll send you X amount of cases. That's what we can allocate towards that direction. Totally fair. It's also in looking, um, you know, New York and California have the same two. It's the smoke mm-hmm. on the water and then also um, funky drummer. Yep. And to me of, of the six uh, samples that I got to try here, those were the two that are probably the most out there and the most like pushing the boundary. Yep. I um, couldn't agree more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, funky um, I, drummer I, no pardon i was just gonna say i feel like and and people in kentucky you know i'm not against you in any way i'm just thinking someone in kentucky is probably more used to drinking kentucky bourbon or something like that as opposed to uh you know getting a really funky rum like there's not a lot of rum distilleries in kentucky or a lot of peat in kentucky so definitely yeah. not yeah. that's a that's a good point too is you know regional taste right like you said i mean if people are more akin to just drink straight bourbon whiskeys in a particular area then they might buy more of that although we tend to find our alter ego triple cast moves really well in kentucky <laughs> so I mean, there's a really few good, out there so. yeah there's a few out there um uh that that tend to move in some of those states that we didn't really think it would move as fast and to be honest to start um which is i mean some, some people are also just looking for something a little different so that Sure. They go against my thinking here too, but uh, that's usually how I just think of it. I look at them and I'm like, why, you know, why, Georgia, uh, yeah, Georgia and Kansas, and Georgia, Kansas, and Maryland, Delaware area getting the tawny port. So, you know, very full bodied, yep. rich, dark fruit kind of thing, which can remind you of kind of a plum or a peach or something like that. Absolutely. Yeah. So it, it does make sense the more I look at it. it and I'm, you know, as that thinking develops, uh, I'm just fascinated to hear how that came about and, and how all of that changes. Yeah, so. that's like, I mean, like my answers, we're still trying to kind of figure out what we think best <laughs> works for us. And of course, the distributors yeah. that we're working with too. Um, there's some distributors that we really like working with because they're, they like really unique products and they want to showcase that. And th- these are, this is what we do at Docs Winston's, right? And we've got our core line, mm-hmm. which is already unique in its own right, but more approachable daily, you know, for something a little bit easier to just go after. And then we have our super limited lines, which are, yeah, pushing the boundaries a lot of the time, especially Funky Drummer, Smoke on Water, yeah. which definitely was, uh, that was pulled out of the, out of, <laughs> way out of left field here. <laughs> and we found it to be even more pleasant than uh, I initially thought it would be actually, so. Uh, yeah, that's pretty cool. I, I mean, let's um, actually, this is the not the funky drummer, but why don't we s- start with the uh, the Trey's Amigos? Yeah, sure, we can absolutely do that. Um, so, um, 
we will get to the the funky drummer for sure um because that was another one of my favorites so this one is a rye whiskey finished in rum and añejo tequila casks yep that guy right there this was also another this was actually kind of funny how he created this it was a little bit more of a uh well i guess i have some whiskey left over from a bottling and i have a couple extra barrels so this was one of those ones where i i made two barrels of that was it um and i just felt like the rye would go really well with those like uh peppery agave notes um and really popped the like caramel and the vanilla flavors that we would normally get anyways so it's just it goes beautifully with with our our, our spicy rye that that peppery tequila and um really complements the apple and pear flavors that are already in our our solera method rye so this is just an addition basically <laughs> absolutely so uh just before we get to the uh, tequila side of it i wanted to ask you what uh, kind of rum was used to finish this oh okay so so this is where this gets funny so i think we did a long time ago our alter ego trip or sorry our alter ego solera method rye whiskey we did a tasting of yes so yeah. but maybe a year ago i might be hazy um it's the green label it was one of the first products we released under the doc swinson's lines after our 15 year um mm -hmm. so it's actually this exact same product so when I, when I pull from the 154 barrels from our Solera system um, to make a bottling batch, you know, we're only pulling a small percentage out. And these, these barrels uh, held a blend of different rums that we actually um, aged both in Central, South, uh, Central and South America, as well as part of the Caribbean, uh, brought to the United States. Then we continue to age them here in four different types of casks. And then I blend those together. <laughs> And they go in our ex-bourbon barrels from Blender's Cut, our straight bourbon whiskey. Mm -hmm. um, and then eventually we take the rum out. So it's really just, we're, we're really seasoning those casks primarily. Um, mm -hmm. And then they end up getting the rye whiskey blend in those freshly emptied casks that had the, our special blend of rum in it. Mm -hmm. uh, they eventually gets to the Slayer system, trickles through 154 barrels. Um, and we pull about 20% or so off the bottom when we go to make a bottling, usually once every two to three months. Um, and I had an additional like hundred and hundred gallons or so left over from a bottling. Cause we actually ran out of labels on a run. <laughs> <laughs> so I just had it sitting in a tank for a while. I figured I'd just add it to the next run or, or, or something like that. And I just so happened to have two extra Añejo tequila casks, um, and I decided to see what would happen. Um, but I don't think I actually really answered your question, did I? Your question was, where no, do the rums no, no. come from? No, no, you did. You did. You said you okay. know, Central South America, a little bit from the Caribbean. Um, I mean, trust me, I would love if you could just list the names off there. But um, that really does just give an idea of the wide range of profiles. Yes. That, that you've got going into this. Uh, you know, A lot the, of English styles, a little bit of Spanish, and of course, some Jamaican rum, of course you can't go too wrong <laughs> exactly there's, there's just that little bit of jamaican funk like it's it's not yep. it's not the funky drummer it's not that no kind of a, it's i'm much glad you more, actually said that yeah yeah it, yeah you go ahead i was gonna, i was glad you actually said that because that was when we first started making funky drummer which i know we'll dive into in a bit but we really wanted to make it very different than our alter ego solera method because we didn't really want them to compete right i mean this is a more limited edition it's going to cost a little bit more um, so I wanted to make sure that what we put in a bottle wasn't just a more expensive version of Solera method. Um, mm -hmm. we really wanted to focus on what Jamaican rum can do to, uh, it's the same rye base that goes into both, 
but this is what Jamaican rum only can do to this particular product. And here's our blend of rums. You can see where blending really takes effect on the, the, the end product there. Um, Absolutely. so yeah, they're totally different worlds. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, personally in, in rums, I'm starting to like Jamaican a lot. Like I, when I, I just got back, like I said, uh, from the trip and of all things in Tennessee, I ended up picking up a, um, <clears throat> a, uh, it's an independent bottling from Clarendon. Yeah. So, you know, it's got, it's got some funk in it. It's not, uh, the, uh, the rest and be, what is it? Rest and be thankful rums, um, from another distributor, another uh, importer, Raj Sabarwal. He was on a couple episodes ago. Mm -hmm. Um, that stuff is like, it's kind of like the Isla level P of yep. the rum. And that is like, it was one of them was great. And the other one was just too much for me. It was too <laughs> funky, like too much sulfur in there. And it started getting really like beyond the banana note and into the tires. So, um, gotcha. Yeah. But uh, so I, I like a little bit of funk, like a Clarendon Appleton estate kind of level. Um, yep. Foursquare doesn't really have any, now that I think about it, they really don't use funk much. No, not, um, a, not a, definitely not a ton. Yeah. Um, um, but, but also in central South American, I, I like Guyanese um, Barbados. I know it's an Island, but still Barbados, Guyanese, mm -hmm. Venezuelan rums in particular. Yep. Um, it was also on a Mauritius kick, but that's, you know, halfway across the world. So we oh, won't include yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's the old yeah. pirate Island. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Um, no, I, Venezuelan is one of my favorite too. So there is Venezuelan rum in our blend. Um, uh, just cause it adds so much great flavor profiles. Um, mm -hmm. and then Jamaican, uh, Trinidad and, um, uh, some USVI is mm -hmm. what's in this current setup and we do manipulate it and change it from time to time and those are also aging in different casts here bourbon uh sherry uh, cognac um and curacao actually which is kind of neat so um some orange like yeah orange liqueur so there's a hint it's like a fraction of a percent um in in that i aged the trinidad rum and it's nine years old actually which is pretty wild um yeah, it's it's gotta... super minor, but there's a bit of an or extra like orangey zest kind of characteristic that comes out, and that yeah. that's already somewhat present in the rye, but it it is in the it's in the rum base that went into those casks as well. We yeah, now, now, that, now that you say it, you're I'm getting it in like the very back palate, mm -hmm. just a little bit, but to me that's great because like yeah, we've seen a we've seen a couple of curacao finished bourbons and ryes come out in the last couple of years, and not one of them has been that good because they <laughs> they've all just it's like overpowered by cure yeah yep yeah, it's, it just blows it out of the water i mean i i can only imagine i mean this is like mill milliliters of of, of curacao cast finished rum so once again these are curacao casts that had rum put in them when they were already five years old uh they've been aging for about four years now and mm. uh i'm using a you know a, a fraction of a percent in the overall blend for the entire rum that eventually goes into these ex-bourbon casts that we pull all that rum out so right. it's it's so minuscule but it's it punches through um mm -hmm. it, very subtly but it does come through and you can taste it in there if you, if, you know if, if you yeah. if you dig a little yeah I, I, that's the would, idea exactly i would put it akin to adding like two or three drops of orange bitters into a manhattan or, or a uh yep. an old-fashioned you don't need a lot of it it's it's that tiny little bit but it's gonna it's gonna punch through like you said yes it really just layers in those complexities and i mean that's yeah. that was the whole point of, of doc swinson's that was our idea for the most part is how do we 
how do we, you know, once again, season our steak correctly? You know, we don't want it to just taste like pepper. <laughs> you still want right. to taste all the characteristics that are coming through during that process. Um, and that's really our goal here that we're trying to achieve, not just be like, you know, oh, it tastes like, you know, Pinot de Chiron. That's great, but just go buy a bottle of that. We want it still to taste like bourbon. <laughs> okay, so now, so we have more to talk about in the Trace Amigos, but you've yep. gotten on to the, one of the big questions I want to ask, which is, you know, you've made and by you i mean you the whole company you've mm -hmm. and the whole team you've built a reputation for being able to blend and finish very very well and you know i'm thankful that it's not just me recognizing that like like i said you're getting a lot of more notoriety than even you were just a year ago yeah uh, so <laughs> that's been true <laughs> yeah. so so with that you know in mind I hear you saying, you know, you try things in a lab, see how it works out, blend it in, blend it out as needed. Um, I've started to see more with the American whiskey finishing scene. So finishing rye, bourbons, um, some corn whiskeys as well, but let's really, you know, mainly the bourbons and rye being finished. And uh, for a while, it was kind of just flash in the pan finishes, you know, see what you can throw in a barrel and impart that flavor. And uh, listeners know which companies I'm talking about with that. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I've heard a lot about this lately, actually. Like, yeah, what flavor do you want it? <laughs> like, oh, exactly. <laughs> like, if you have to ask, I mean, um, but on the other hand, I've, I've started to see more like Doc Swinson who are, mm -hmm. uh, who are finishing with a little more intentionality and really working to pair those flavors well and balance them. So, you know, with, with this, for example, with the, uh, with the Tres Amigos, so the rum and the Añejo finish, um, I'm not a big tequila drinker. I don't like agave spirit. I'm open to trying mezcals. I talked to someone last night who's going to hopefully walk me through some mezcal. Right but, um, but you know, true straight like blue agave spirit. I just I just don't like it. I don't like the flavor. Totally but, fair. <laughs> yeah, but with this, um, you know, it's a rye whiskey, which inherently is going to be a little pep, a little more peppery, stand up better, mm -hmm. um, a little woody maybe even. The rum, which um, honestly I did not find that sweet. Like there's sweetness in it, but it's not at all overpowering. It's not like drinking a you know a Venezuelan or Guyanese straight, like an El Dorado straight. It's it's more balanced than that. Um, and then you add in the tequila finish, which, as you're saying, is is peppery, and that's where I'm going to really rely on you because I don't really know what it, I couldn't tell you what like an Añejo tequila really tastes like because I just don't enjoy it enough to be able to appreciate it. Absolutely. So the first question, first question is, you know, how did you find those two working together? I know you said you had the barrels, but I feel like you also would have tested it first. Um, yeah. So, so, pardon. Uh, so, and then the second part is just, you know, with with more intentionality coming through in American whiskeys nowadays. Um, from your perspective, what are you seeing in the market with your uh, competitors, friends, and other people trying to finish and maybe doing it a little bit better than they had previously? Okay. Um, we'll start. I know that's a lot. I might have to, re we'll, we'll go through the first set. I might ask you again, <laughs> but I think okay. I got it. Um, there won't be stewing up here. Okay. So the first round, uh, I, I felt like the, the main question was we tried it. I do a little bit of bench sampling. Uh, sorry. The first question, if we was, can pare it down the, to like, sure, sure. With the, with this particular, uh, exploratory cask, the rum and the Añejo tequila, mm -hmm. Um, how did that pairing come about and, and how did you kind of tweak it, uh, tweak it rather to 
get it to where you wanted it to be. Absolutely. Okay, cool. So, so um, initially, I think you also mentioned something along the lines of we probably tried it, you know, like a little bit first or bench top sample or something like that. So we didn't waste a bunch of whiskey. Correct. Right. So always when I'm working on doing a, uh, a finished cask, I do something super basic and super simple. Anybody could do it in their home. Um, I pick up a bottle of what it's going to be finished in or something very similar if I can't find the exact same, you know, brand or whatnot. If I know it's an Añejo tequila, I'll pick a couple up where, for example, um, I think that are generally good, good bets that, that that's where that barrel's coming from. And sometimes I absolutely get to know where the barrel's coming. It doesn't happen all the time. I'll be honest though. Um, so, uh, I'll take that and I'll, I'll basically use a dropper and I just add a little bit like a dash or two or a drop or two worth of that finishing cask into, um, a couple of our different bases here. So we work with primarily four different mash bills. Um, they're, you know, all MGP, um, and, uh, we stick to, it's, it's always a minimum of five years now, uh, which mm -hmm. is great. Um, so originally it was starting around four, four and a half. Now we're pretty stuck on five years. We really like what that does. Um, and that's aged in the Midwest before it comes here. Um, and then finishing is all done here in Ferndale, Washington, uh, and some continuing aging, but so I'll, I'll do these little droppers worth in my glass. And then you just kind of let them sit for a few days. Like I'll just close them up you know, uh, let them sit for a few days to see how they actually mingle with each other. And then I go back and I taste it and I taste it again and again and again. And it kind of gives me a perspective of what might come out of the barrel in the future. Mm -hmm. Um, but the funny thing is going even further backwards in order to come up with some of these, these flavor profile developments, most of it's all just done honestly in my mind. <laughs> so like, like, I, I don't know, a lot of people like cooking, right? If you like cooking at all, you know, as some, you know, you could just start taking different spices and start grabbing them off your shelf and start flavoring your dishes. And you kind of know what generally you're going to get out of the dish when you've added whatever soy sauce, for example, you know, what flavors you're going to generally produce out of that mixed in with whatever you're cooking. Um, so it's very similar. It's really no different than I imagine any chef or anybody that just enjoys cooking or baking. You're like, Oh yeah, I know what cardamom tastes like. That's going to be great in these muffins. <laughs> um, so same kind of idea happens. And Añejo tequila generally has some really, um, amazing, like kind of like greenish, like, uh, uh or can have a little bit of this like greenish, like almost hatch chili pepper kind of characteristic to it, which is really nice, like a roasted hatch chili, um, mm. uh, agave syrup, um, some really nice black peppercorn, um, sometimes some white peppercorn. Um, and then of course these were, uh, the neat thing about the barrels that I ended up getting um, were not previously used for bourbon. Like most tequilas are aged in ex-bourbon casks mm. or a number of different casks, but primarily ex-bourbon or, or ex-Tennessee uh, whiskey. That's another big one, of course. Mm. Um, and these ones weren't, these ones were actually, uh, fresh, um, barrels. So very new. So they still had a little bit more smoky characteristic to them, which was kind of nice. Um, and then the, of course the tequila went into them. Um, so we were able to get a ton of really great vanilla and caramel flavors directly from these casks. A lot of those, um, uh, flavor profiles were still very much present in, in the cask because they were new. Right. So, yeah. which, which also kind of lent into, okay, well, our rye whiskey, we think is really already quite nice and it has a lot of like pear cinnamon clove apple um, baking spice stuff going on right it already has some good caramel and vanilla but it's not super heavy on that so adding more vanilla and caramel usually doesn't offend people <laughs> turns out people love vanilla and caramel flavoring of course they do what's not to love um and this these añejo tequila casts already exuded some of these flavor profiles um, while having some of those nice green like agave like chili and pepper characteristics in the background that were pretty subtle um and I, I just felt like these were pretty 
great pairings already. One of them, the rye whiskey is already very bold in the first place. So I wasn't too nervous about the tequila taking it over. Um, mm -hmm. Unlike a bourbon, you have to be a little more delicate, I think, with bourbons because um, mm -hmm. you could just just take some right away. You know, I mean, we, we talked about this a second ago. Uh, yeah. Finishing cast sometimes just consume everything and you're like, oh, okay, 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 I get it. It's, it's a toddy port and a bourbon. I totally get it, um, but it doesn't taste like bourbon. So um, uh, the ones that are a little bit more harebrained for me, I generally like to try with a rye just because they tend to hold up a little bit more. So you have a little bit more uh, room for error, basically. Um, and it could be a little bit more pronounced flavor profiles and you're not going to lose it too quickly. Um, so, and then of course, the other half of this really is, I just had two extra Añejo casts laying around and I figured, you know, it'd be really tasty. This, this rye whiskey, our blenders cut rye whiskey, which we haven't even released yet uh, as a, as our core line product. And these uh, Añejo tequila casts, um, it's almost like it was just like a gut feeling. I smelled the cast, thought about it overnight. That's exactly what ended up happening. Um, and I had a little bit of that extra rum, so you can't really go too wrong. I don't know. No. It just seemed like an, uh, kind of like a no brainer. I mean, it, it really works. And like I said, I, I don't like tequila, but mm -hmm. it doesn't taste like tequila. It, it brings out all those different flavors and you've got the spicy rye, which I totally agree with you. And I think we might've talked about this, um, when you were first on, but certainly I've talked about it since is that I agree. Rye just, it handles finishes so yeah, much better <laughs> yeah in american whiskeys and the bourbons it's very easy to overtake it yep it's incredibly Especially, easy yeah oddly enough i've i have found that the uh that bourbon can handle smoke pretty well pretty well um like a like a mesquite smoke or something like that mm -hmm. um even yeah so let's stick with that like a peat smoke uh when it's got more of a under the tongue flavor that you get with that sweetness and along the sides of your mouth, that's mm -hmm. when it can get lost. Sometimes when you have smoke that kind of rises just above the tongue, yeah, it it the sweetness doesn't get kind of doubled up on, and then the bourbon doesn't get lost there. Um, but it's it's tough. It's it, tough to do that. Absolutely, and you know when we're experimenting with you know a dozen new new flavor profiles at the same time, I, I'm only one person, <laughs> so right. sometimes it's nice to start with ones that I think are going to be a little bit more difficult to. To, make, to maybe master, so to speak, uh, and start with those with a rye. And then I could work my way you know, back once I have a little bit more of a, a bearing on some of the other finished products. So uh, keep in mind, you're always growing with me. That's the thing. So if you try Doc Swinson's, you get to learn how I develop my profiles and understanding of, of, of what, what I, I believe is quality blending. Yeah. And like also, like you said, when we spoke a year ago, you were more closer to four years old with, with the Kind of average age let's say or the yep. minimum age and now you're getting to five years old so if you taste a bottle from a batch from last year or the year before and you taste a bottle from now it might be subtle mm -hmm. but there is probably a slightly older taste and feel to it absolutely yeah. it's not gonna be Especially... enough to say it's a different product but enough to to notice it absolutely is and you really notice that in our core lineup like the alter ego triple cast the ones that are coming out now um, my typical finishing time went from about, you know, 45 to 60 days. Like when we probably first talked, um, we're looking at close to 11 months, um, oh, wow. just because it took me a long time to build up these stocks, you know, um, and then the barrels, uh, we're, we're a very much self-funded, you know, small company. So <laughs> we just roll what we make back into more <laughs> barrels into more cool projects. Um, and it took a long time to build up these stocks. And I finally got to a point where, uh, I now have stuff that's been, you know, finishing, 
yeah, uh, on the lower end, you know, uh, a few months and then up uh, quite a few of them on the higher end, about 11 months to a year, which uh, those all get blended in at different proportions to make what I think is going to be the best product that I can for that that batch release. And that's that's why we put batch numbers on it too. So you could follow this process there and be like, this batch I think was so much better than that batch or, or whatever. And, and, you know, let us know too, you know, if you, if you really have an opinion on it, because um, we like to hear from, uh, you know, our, our supporters. So hundred percent. And, uh, so before we move to the next question was, I agree. It was a big question. So I want to break it down a little bit more, Yes. but, um, the, the last thing with this was just the Añejo tequila itself. So you're saying peppery hatch chili, um, black peppercorn, a little bit of white peppercorn, um, uh, some of that caramel as well. So for someone who like me, I guess, who doesn't know a lot about tequila, I basically know it has to be blue agave from this area. And there's, three to four types based on aging. That's about as far as my knowledge goes on this. When you look at a, at what casks are available, and maybe you have in mind, like I want to get a couple of tequila casks, um, what are you looking for in in your stock to add to it? Yeah, absolutely. So so uh, once again, it really depends on the kind of batch. So for example, this version of Trace Amigos is 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 a one and done only. Uh, the next mm -hmm. one might be a little bit different because I got the chance to buy up some different types of barrels. And I want to play with those flavor pro pro uh, profiles. So always keep that in mind. It's, this is where the exploratory cast line gets, we get to play a little bit more. So they're all a little different. Uh, but in general, so for example, uh, tequila has a, a fairly, even though they are, yes, it's all blue Weber agave. You typically have your Blanco, your Reposado, and your Añejo, maybe an extra Añejo from a certain producer. Um, mm -hmm. More often than not, yes, they typically go in ex-bourbon or ex-Tennessee uh, whiskey casks, um, age for their appropriate timeline uh, for the for the name. And uh, that's all true. And usually it's a pretty standardized yeast, a tequila yeast. But there are also a ton of different producers out there that, of course, just like anything, have their own uh, you know, mash bills, so to speak, right? They use their own propagated yeast in-house. Maybe they use a, a yeast, you know, from, you know, uh, for cider or champagne. I've tried tequilas that use those and they're totally out there. Um, mm. For example, uh, some of them use, you know, a classic steam or sorry, a classic uh, uh, ovening method. So they'll use like a pit kind of like in mezcal, for example. Mm. Um, uh, they'll thrash it with a, either a mechanical thrasher to, you know, tear all the agaves apart or they'll use a tahona to crush them. And that gives you a completely different flavor profile too from one to the other. Um, so like Jamaican, I always think that, you know, if you find a, te a Tahona tequila, which is, you know, the big stone wheel, <laughs> yeah. uh, and they, they, they crush it, you know, it goes, you put all the, uh, roasted agave, um, uh, into this trough and a stone wheel crushes all, and you tend to get like more grassy and intense flavor notes out of that kind of like a, almost like a Jamaican rum. Mm -hmm. Um, and if you find some, there's some really good tequila producers that utilize, multiples of these methods and they blend them together to make a final product. And I tend to find those to be my favorite. Um, why? Because they're like nutty blenders like me, basically. Um, so of course we like each other. <laughs> um, so, so I know that's a, maybe a little more winded than you wanted, but uh, no, I'm taking and taking into account all these different factors from the type of uh, distilleries that I'm able to work with and always trying to expand on trying to get with, you know, a different distillery to see maybe this is better than what I did before. Um, and taking account of all the different production methods and aging techniques they use, uh, and, and see if I think that they'll work best with our product, um, or if it's just like something I really want to try. 
so more often than not, I'm for in this case, I was looking for something that was more vanilla and caramel heavy with just some just a little bit more subtle peppery notes in there. Um, uh, and a little more barrel influence. Like I said, this weren't, these weren't previously used, um, whiskey barrels at all. So, uh, yeah, I thought that would that be I a nice see. subtle influence. <laughs> no, I, I, I agree. Like I said, look, it doesn't, I don't really like tequila finishes either for the same reasons. And it, it doesn't taste like a tequila finish. It tastes like it's a rye with rum with tequila. Each part has its, mm-hmm. its place. Um, and, uh, to me that just screamed balance and i'm all about balance we've talked about that that's yeah and that goes back to making sure the whiskey doesn't get lost so have you gotten to go down there and like you know go from distillery to distillery just try so what's what's down there i i actually have um I, i think we mentioned this maybe in the last podcast but we have another side of our business as well that um is how we originally started which was doing private label production so developing blends for other people, um, which which gave me a lot of time and a lot of different contacts to work with, um, especially you know to apply to Doc Swinson's, which is our own brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've actually f- refocused most of our company towards mostly just Doc Swinson's and our own brands because we think they're a little more entertaining. Mm-hmm. Um, and we didn't really want to be mass producing a bunch of stuff anyways. And we don't with Doc's. Doc's is teeny, as you already know. It's like a few hundred bottles mm-hmm. for any of the exploratory casts. Um, but, but the cool thing about having that experience um, you know, several years ago was, yes, I did get to go meet a lot of different producers throughout, um, uh, Jalisco, which is great anywhere from, you know, well, mostly the around this region to the highlands or the lowlands. So we're actually tequilas from, um, I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds of distilleries. A lot of them are like mom and pop or, you know, like small family operations, you know, backyard stuff for that, for a good chunk of them. Um, and then of course there's larger corporate ones as well. Uh, been to the whole gamut, um, uh, of different sizes and, um, some of them are doing particularly interesting things. And I'd like to, to start focusing more towards some of those, which are a little bit more harebrained and out there where it's, you know, taking different yeast strains, um, blending uh, the different uh, ways to mash your agave to get, or, or squeeze your agave. Um, and uh, I think the yeast strains, like most things, even in whiskey, are probably some of the most interesting because they have so much impact on the end product. Mm-hmm. Um and then also finding tequilas that were aged in different types of casts besides just, uh, you know, American oak. So I've been seeing that actually more and more in tequila. You'll find stuff that's done like um, cognac or armagnac or um, sherry, um, which is which is actually really cool. Uh, so yes, I have done quite a, a tasting. I spent actually a decent amount of time in Mexico, and I'm working on doing that again here very soon um, for a different reason. Uh, like I said earlier, we're uh, we're trying to become more of a house of brands. So take our influence and adapt it to different spirits. So mm-hmm. I have been slowly working on a tequila brand for the last four years. So maybe that could be, mm-hmm. maybe that could be like a segue to another podcast one day with you. Uh, maybe I'll get you to like some good tequila. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, honestly, I would, there are certain people who I've had on who I would trust to you know, convert me. I would trust you to convert me. So. <laughs> that, that's awesome. Well, I'll, I'll do my yeah. best. <laughs> hey, um, I'll take it. But but with that being said, yes, there's a lot of really great groups um, and a lot of cool things going on in tequila, especially now. I mean, I feel like finishing tequilas is becoming even more popular uh, very slowly, but it's happening. So keep an eye out for some of those. Does tequila hold up well to finishing? Um, you know, I don't really know enough to actually say yes or no to that. <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely not a tequila expert by any means, um, but I have had some that were... Uh, you know, aged in cognac casks, like I said, cognac, primarily cognac and sherry casks. 
Um, and those are some, and oh, and um, oh, rose casks, of course, that's been kind of a fad lately. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And th- those are, those, they all are really quite unique and interesting. So I could find something appreciate, uh, appreciable in every single one of them. Um, I have ones that I like more than others, but uh, yeah, they can. I think you have to be even more subtle with them to be totally fair, though. Um, just my take on it. I think whiskeys hold up a little, a little more margin for error with a whiskey that I've experienced so far. That's kind of the answer that I was expecting because I'm, I'm thinking yeah. it's a, you know it's a younger spirit yeah. even if it's even if it's got more flavor like I think you know the, in the way that a single malt can handle sure a stronger finishing even if it's got more flavor and more body like a single malt does you know a very young single malt is still not going to hold up as well right as something that's already been aged ten years or even four or five years so I'm I'm very curious. I got. I feel like I have to start with the basic tequila first to make sure I got the flavor <laughs> yeah. down. That's a, that's a great place to start. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I can't. I can't start off with the sherry finished ones because then I'll just be thinking I like the sherry. Um, yeah. No, I get that. I I had some really great. It was actually one brand that I tried. They finished in like twenty seven different kinds, or I should age say age, not finished. Aged in like twenty seven different kinds of casks. And got to go through and try a whole bunch of, and some of them were absolutely detrocious, like probably just get rid of sort of situation. <laughs> um, but there were some total like winners in there. You're like, wow, these flavors are absolutely beautifully developed. Um, and, you know, take a handful of those and blend those together and you get something really, really quite nice. Kind of like, kind of like triple cast to some degree, right? Where you're really playing with all these different layers. Um, and it still tastes like tequila, <laughs> which is great. Um, so I think it really more or less depends on what your vision is. And um, if you've got somebody that's willing to stick with that as, you know, as your, 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 your distiller or blender or, or, or whatnot, um, if you have a vision, just stick it out. I don't know. That's kind of where I'm coming from these days. So <laughs> it, it's fair. And, and you're, you're doing it. You're, you're living what you say, you'd walk in the walk. So- Working on it. It's been a little affirming lately with the, uh, award season i will say so that's been that's been pretty nice you know i mean you know when you put your heart and soul into a project and you put it out in the market and you're like well are people actually gonna love this or not i, mean, I really like it but that doesn't mean ever people who pick it up really do and we've definitely had a lot of really great feedback uh, which is which is excellent yeah and uh last thing on this and then we'll move on to the the next product uh, again calling back to the first time you were on one of the biggest um takeaways that i took from the uh, alter ego rye is that at the time you know it was really a one-to-one comparison that people were going to do between that and angel's envy rye yep and uh the i think the biggest complaint about angel's envy rye is that it's just it's too sweet it's a dessert whiskey in many ways um i don't necessarily find that but that's the that's a consensus so we'll go with it for the sake of argument um whereas yours was much more balanced like it still had the sweetness but the rye still came through it wasn't Mm -hmm. all maple it was um, finished to such a degree that both components still shone through. Um, and that's kind of why I liked it from the beginning and wanted to have you back is you have that inherent, um, just whether you call it harebrained or not, if you've got an idea, it seems to work out. So, or you seem to figure out how to make it work. It's maybe it's I don't, somewhat maybe of a, a, a I don't know. It's, it's just the profile that I generally have. And since I started when I was a kid, it was like trying to find as much balance in just about everything. And believe me, I, it's not like I'm just sitting here and just like, da, 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 oh, that's good. Or anything like that. It takes me sometimes months to compile a blend that I'm like, oh, that's worth it. Like, let's, let's, this is good. I think this is, 
this is where we want to put it in a bottle and see what everybody else starts thinking. Um, so one of these days I'll like, if I ever finish setting up my, my new lab, it's been like a year and it's still like a disaster, but I'll give everybody a tour of it. And it's just like hundred mil bottles everywhere. And um, each one with like just slight adjustments percentage wise between each type of cast that I had at that period of time, or, um, uh, you know, a little bit of proof adjusting. Like uh, we do release a lot of our stuff at cast strength. That is absolutely the case. But uh, honestly, if, if I had it even more my way, <laughs> which I, which generally I do, um, I, I would, I like playing with proof, pro proof points as well, because you really get a, a totally different influence based upon the, the proof that the product is, is being presented at. Um, cast strength is amazing and can be absolutely the top sometimes, but in my opinion, actually lower proofs tend to work better for uh, finishing cast. That's just a personal thing. Um, but uh, anyways, that's a whole other side note that I have a thing about. <laughs> so um, I, I, I what, sorry, but there was a question in there, right? I think I deviated. No, 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 that, that, that was all good. Uh, what I was going to say was uh, I, I just poured out the, the second one that we're going to go over, the funky drummer. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, which is, I looked at kind of, I did this in a very specific order when I tasted them to try to follow the, you know, follow the rules of, of tasting where it's, you know, up by proof, peat at the end, mm -hmm. um, funkier stuff towards the end when everything is finished, it's slightly different. And when you got a couple of funky stuff in there, it's a little different, but I wanted to kind of put things together. So I put a trace amigos and the funky drummer together, both rye, both yep. have rum finishes with them. Um, so this one, it's a rye whiskey, um, it's 106.4 proof. It's specifically finished in Jamaican rum casks, um, hence the funky part of the drummer. And I am so glad that that's going to be available in New York because I love it. Um, when you were, when you're thinking about um, doing, you know, one finish versus the two, the double finish in the previous sample, when you're thinking about doing one, is it harder or easier to do? Um, for me, I, I'm a fairly, I feel like as far as harebrained as I am, I'm actually a fairly like logical person. <laughs> and I, for me, one finish tends to be, I think, easier to start understanding. And that's the reason why I prefer to start everything with, you know, it's, it's going to be, I, there's there's a methodology behind almost everything I'm actually doing. So it's it's typically blender's cut. Not always. Sometimes it's only one mash bill versus another. But most of the time it's our blender's cut base. Um, so our straight bourbon whiskey, age five years, that then goes into a single type of finishing cast. So I could understand how those profiles can really develop. And then it's not until usually later, like the next round. So we'll release that, see what people think. Um, mm -hmm. Also to showcase that, that that's how that can interact with our whiskey. Um, mm -hmm. And then I like to generally try and layer stuff in later. Um, that's where it's like, okay, the next round of this, maybe I'll blend, you know, the, uh, I don't know. I'm just throwing this out here. This probably isn't actually going to happen yet, but <laughs> the Pinot de Chirant with, uh, you know, uh, uh, a hint of the uh, uh, peated scotch quarter cask or something like that. You know, then you get this like smoked honey flavor or something going on in there. Um, so for me, it's like, I want to understand the base I'll understand the first layer and then how to add in my second, third, fourth, et cetera, to whatever extent we want to, to make, you know, really good whiskey. Um, so for me, simple is easier. <laughs> so stick with what we think is make this one particular finish really good, see how it works with something else. And then we can develop that. Um, so it's all very step by step. Um, I mean, that's more how I try to do it. It's not always perfect. 
No, make, it makes makes perfect sense. The, the reason I ask too is I think of it, uh, I think often finishing like you would cooking, how mm-hmm. simpler is usually better. You know, there's, there's an old adage uh, in the restaurant industry, like if you're creating a dish, create the finished dish and then remove one component off of it because you probably have too many things on the plate. I have heard that, um, yeah. Yep. So, uh, and on the other side of things, when you're creating a dish and you have something that's very simple, like you're only using a couple of ingredients, mm-hmm. on one hand, it can really showcase those ingredients and it's meant to showcase those ingredients, but also means there's nowhere to hide. You know, if one thing is off, throws the entire thing off. It's not like something with, you know, 20 ingredients where if a little thing is off, you can kind of hide it with the rest. So that that's where I'm, where my mind kind of goes with it. Yep. I see what you're saying. And, you know, I can actually add to that because um, you, you're not wrong. So for example, when it comes into triple cask, that is a, one of our core line products, right? So the cognac, uh, the Oloroso, the Pedro Jimenez Sherry. Um, and the neat thing is, you know, every time I pull a batch of casks, which I taste every single cask before I decide which ones I want to pull to make a batch. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes me like a month to do it. <laughs> like <laughs> taste them all, go back and forth. Be like, okay, I think these seven will assemble with these seven, with these seven. Um, and you said you're you're only one guy, like you said. So, oh, I know. Uh, surprisingly, I, I think I, I don't. I shouldn't say the word drink, but uh, I drink for work and I mostly drink water uh, <laughs> outside of this. Um, that's not true. I love a good cocktail. Um, it, each one of those sets. So if I compile like a couple of these of the Oloroso Sherry, a couple of these of the Pedro Jimenez and the Cognac, um, you know, they do taste different from a batch to batch. Absolutely. And when I get to mix all three of those together, you, I think you're completely right. Um, you, you touched on that really well is you do get more opportunity to hide where you might be lacking in some zone because you do have essentially more, you know, more colors in the paintbrush um, to play with. And it's, it is almost a little bit more difficult to pick out um, uh where there could be, you know, more potential change or fault, for example. Not that we really have a whole lot of faults. We tend to, every once in a while, I'll come across a barrel that has a fault and kind of kick it aside. <laughs> I've got a couple of those, so <laughs> I don't know what to do with them yet. But um, yeah, you do get to, you do get, I think, a little more leniency in the grand scheme of things. Uh, so our triple cast is more consistent, I guess, through that being. And that's also the reason why we set up the Solera method is because I was only, I'm only one person and the Solera method, I influence all the stuff on the beginning and leave nature to take care of the end for me. That always gets blended um, based upon just the set of the barrels on the bottom. Um, that helped alleviate my liver to go do other things. Uh, <laughs> so building some of these processes definitely take into account like, yeah, how, how much time and effort is going to be at basically concentrated on each product. And I've been doing the the core lineup for quite a while now. And I'm pretty, pretty confident that every time we go to produce it, you know, it gets the stamp of approval, of course, but mm-hmm. um, in general, I know which casts uh, need to be assembled and, and generally what those bases need to taste like. Whereas yeah, absolutely this. Whew, yeah. Uh, there'll be times where I'm like, Oh, it's great this week. And the next week it just tastes kind of like garbage, uh, not garbage, but it's just nowhere near as good as it was. You're like, damn, that was the way it was so much better. And so then you wait a little bit longer, you wait a little bit longer. You're like, did I mess up this batch? And to be fair, I have, <laughs> um, the original funky drummer, uh, this very one, I originally wanted to release back in 2021 in November. Um, and it didn't happen. Um, I like to, I really love long aging times. I know a lot of people don't believe that in finishing. They want to do like short, which is great too. I found great results in short aging times and finishing casts. But in general, I think 
the more time often seems that they they tend to be more you know they're a little bit more depthy they have a little bit more longevity to them that's what i really like to shoot for and funky drummer i left in the barrels far too long uh and they ended up just tasting kind of like chewing on some really gnarly grass um and i just it just wasn't what i was shooting for um and gnarly me actually most people probably really like it to be honest it was more like coffee toffee flavors um but i was looking for more of a tiki kind of flavor going on something a little bit more brighter and a little more fun which is what this particular release so eight months later finally released funky drummer uh, i remade all the casks um all fresh casks all fresh rum or uh, rye and uh uh finally got it out there so we do stand by the bottle and ready sticker on all of our bottles <laughs> it always seems like a cheesy marketing move but i kid you not we, we truthfully do it so that original batch is still sitting in a tank um yet to be to be found its new home so i don't know yet i mean there's i have no doubt you'll find something to do with it yeah i, yeah. I hope it, ultimately if ultimately if you've got it if you got to dump something you got to dump something and i know as a smaller company you have less um certainly less incentive and less ability to do that because yeah you're not pumping out i mean you're not distilling your own on site anyway and if you were you got to wait so uh you know you can't throw out a couple barrels like some of the huge guys can do if something right. doesn't taste right or is a little over finished or whatever so with uh with this in particular so this is aged about eight months is it in the yeah correct so this one in yeah. particular is about six, six to eight months you know i pull my barrels based upon general profiles that i'm looking from and they don't always mature quite at the same rate you know depending on where the barrel is a little bit maybe in the warehouse or how each in barrel interacts with the spirit which which is a nice thing about our our particular size and it's still pretty sustainable as far as we grow or we think we'll grow um i could go through and taste each barrel and take a note on them you know for example I'll do it like once every two weeks or three weeks depending on the profile um, and then I'll say, okay, I think this barrel is absolutely ready for the blend. Maybe this one needs another week or two. So, and then I pull those and I batch them together. So it's, it's a pretty long process. Um, but we think it, the results are really excellent. Um, so it's worth doing. <laughs> sure. Yeah. The, the batch that didn't work out, um, if you don't mind me asking, how long were those aged? Oh gosh. Um, let me think here. Those were between nine and pretty sure nine and 14 months. Um, so I had some that were, were, I had two casts that were close to that 14 month mark and an additional two casts that were close to that nine month mark. Um, I'd wait for some more rye to come in to age, uh, to be, be old enough. Uh, and they were an older rye. Those were all six years. Um, so it was even older than what we're currently working with here, which is, which is um, uh, just shy. I think we're at like, five years, 11 months or so for a total aging um, mm -hmm. from the original barrel plus this one. Somewhere in there, pardon, I cross them every once in a while, but but uh, yeah. Anyways, I think this will actually like showcase more of the flavor profiles we we're looking for, we we're really looking for. So that's why I got in the bottle. <laughs> sure. And so Jamaican rum, uh, normally you think of it's usually a funkier style, not as, as sweet. Um, it can age quite a long time. And yet, it retains uh, some of those grassy notes that you're talking about that I mm -hmm. think of, I think of usually more like a rum agricole. Yes, absolutely. Um, so I think uh, it's something we haven't really talked about on the podcast before is have, you know, what, what makes that funk? <laughs> what is the funk? Yeah. The uh, so, so it, uh, well, with agricole, it is, it's primarily 
and keep in mind, I'm, I'm no rum expert either. Um, but agricoles are, are a little bit, of course, different within uh, Jamaican rums, of course, right? So you're working with the fresh pressed cane juice. It's distilled only, what was it, once a year in a certain specific range for a season. Um, mm. uh, the Jamaican rum, on the other hand, uh, primarily gets its contribution from uh, one, pot stills primarily, right? So you're going to really focus on the really heavy ester profiles. Those esters are produced during that um, uh, fermentation period. Uh, usually with a, a, like a, I don't know if natural ferment's quite the right word for it, but I know that you like, it's common to use dunder pits, um, mm. which, which usually aren't particularly large. In fact, we reference it on the back of the label to give you all like, Hey, you should check out these things called dunder pits. They're pretty gnarly. Um, but they, they host this, it's basically just this beautiful Petri dish full of, um, uh, I, I couldn't even imagine how many different, um, uh, yeast strains, bacterium, et cetera, that are just swarming in this thing. Right. So it's this big, delicious flavor pot, um, uh, full of all these, this microflora that then goes into the, the molasses, um, uh, watered down molasses blend that they're, they're going to make the rum out of. And of course, all these bugs go after it and just create these incredible flavor profiles. I'm so far fetching out there. I mean, it could be anything from like, um, something like, uh, you know, like, a really oily or astringent almost to, to like super fruity, like pineapple skins, pears. And it's commonly used, of course, these rums, these Jamaican rums are commonly used as top noting rums for most of the industry to give them flavors, um, which I've done some work with some of those as well over the years where I'll use, you know, you know, uh, uh, yeah, whatever it is, a, a tenth of a percent or so of Jamaican rum in some lighter body Spanish style rums. And all of a sudden you just go from like, more typical, like, I don't know, like almost like Bacardi E flavors. <laughs> um, and then all of a sudden you have these like beautiful, like, um, uh, passion fruit and pear, um, notes that are just, just, just so stunning in that rum. And it just elevates it like crazy. Um, and primarily it's, it's how a lot of these Jamaican rums are, are get their funk. Um, and then of course someone could be aged for, you know, whatever, six months, a year, 10 years, 20 years, et cetera. Most of these barrels were used for over 20 years that we used for the oh. funky drummer. Yeah, they were old. <laughs> and they were ex-bourbon as well um, at one time. So not that they had any of that left in there. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, they're, then they're even older. Figure, you know, even a couple of years of, let's say even four to five years of, bur of bourbon use and then yep. however many years of, of, of rum. rum. Yeah, and yeah. It, not saying that these rums were left in there for 20 years, but they were they were used for at least 20 years. So uh, they, sure, I don't yeah, always get a great a list times, of rums. So. Yeah. And, um, but the neat thing is when I get these barrels, you know, there's, uh, there's a lot of rum left in some of them. Uh, some of them are fairly dry, uh, but mm -hmm. some will be, you know, I'll get a whole glass out two or three, <laughs> which is kind of fun. Um, so it's, it's kind of a nice perk. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Dunder pits are, uh, kind of, kind of, I feel like it's, it's, it's going to be a weird comparison. It's like haggis in a way. Like, yes, that's actually a really know, neat comparison. <laughs> yeah. It, like if you don't know what it what's causing it or it tastes really good like if someone gives you a plate of haggis and doesn't tell you what it is it like, tastes yeah. really good like true haggis in scotland or ireland like it's really good you can't get the real thing in america because they don't allow lungs in the blend take that as a good or bad depending on who you are <laughs> but, yep. um but and with the rums and the same thing like a dunder pit um it, i kind of look at it and i'm like I don't know if I want to drink something that comes out of there. No, <laughs> but if you know, like... yeah, it, it, like you said, gnarly is a good word for it. Uh, but if you have been drinking funky rums and rums that have used under pits and things and you like it, then you can kind of look and say, all right, still might be gnarly, a little gross, but um, maybe a lot gross, <laughs> but, um, 
but I clearly like what comes out of it. So I'll, it's kind of like take it. I always think of it kind of like it's like souring process in, in whiskey, just a really, really intense version of it that is incredibly uh, yeah, gnarly is a good word. Um, but look at the, the beauty that comes out of it. And that's that's really what that's what we're looking for, right? And mm-hmm. and uh I mean gin making rums have their I mean very specific name. Everybody knows it. I mean, if you're into rum at all, you know what a Jamaican rum is going to be. You know, it can taste like it's so specific. Um, and, and of course, from each distillery, they're quite different, but that's what makes them beautifully unique. Um, yeah. So anyways, it's a great compliment to rye. I can tell you that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, rum and rye, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And once again, uh, oh, pardon. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I would say, and once again, I mean, the idea with this still is to be able to capture some of the rye flavor profiles out of this. And um, I know it's not probably as subtle as most of our finishes because um, we really thought this one was particularly fun and almost more like tiki drink esque. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and almost like if a, if you can get like a really fancy spiced rum, this is almost like what this I feel like it could be. <laughs> yeah, like Which, if, there you are some spiced rum. You have to spice rum that, but also aged at the same time. Exactly. Yeah. And it's just yeah. like, and it's, you know, it's, just, you know, it's not sugary or anything like that. It's a, it's definitely more right. whiskey, but um, I don't know. That's kind of how I feel about it. Um, I was I like excited. It. I, yeah. I mean, I, I really liked it. I, I'm getting more into funky rums um, kind of the same way. It took me a while to get into Isla Scotch. So <laughs> that fit on two of the products here. Uh, I know you said you, you don't always have a great idea of, of provenance with these, um, do you have any kind of sense of where these particular ones came from? Or? Oh yeah, more often than not. So, so for, first and foremost, there's a good chance I just can't tell you <laughs> where they're coming from that, because of NDA. That's fair too. That's, that's very too. common. Um, and then if I'm not directly getting from a distillery, I work with typically a broker, um, and those brokers generally like don't want me to tell you where they come from either. Sometimes they very rarely, but sometimes they won't even tell me. Um, but most of these things are pretty easy to figure out, to be honest. Just like just like when you know, like we're an NDP, right? A lot of people are like, "Oh yeah, we know where your stuff's coming from." In our case, it says you know Indiana on the back of most of them, so that's pretty obvious. Um, but even you know our 15 year release, uh, some people got it right, some people didn't. Um, I, it's not very hard to hunt down where they came from. Uh, once again, I usually have a good indicator in the rare chance that I don't know. Um, and then, you know, sometimes I'll buy bottles and be like, I'm pretty sure it's this one. So I'll have like 98% positive. That's definitely from this distillery. Um, that happens actually more often in the sherry side of things, especially when it comes to like sherries or, or even cognacs. I don't always get, um, like the same barrel from the same place. Um, I work with typically a cooper who, uh, recoupers the cast from, you know, uh, 10 or 12 or, or 15 different distilleries. And they can usually tell me, you know, how long it was used um, uh, and what products, uh, but not always the exact name. So sometimes I get it. Sometimes I don't. <laughs> when I can share, I always will share it. That's, that's my rule here. Um, but if I can't, eh, I'm not going to, you know, try and lead you down the wrong no. track. No. The Whiskey Ring Podcast is proudly sponsored by Impex Beverages. Impex imports premium and rare whiskey, gin, rum, mezcals, liqueurs, and cordials from all over the world, from Scotland to Japan to Israel, Belgium, and Wales. Whether it's Kilholman, Pandaren, Port Escague, Glenallachie, Ohishi, Fukano, M&H, Ardnamurkin, Black Tot, and more, there's guaranteed to be something in the Impex portfolio you'll love. Impex also oversees some of the most prestigious independent bottlers in the game, 
including Single Malts of Scotland, Singlecast Nation, Adelphi Selection, and its own Impex collection. Take a look at their site, impexbev.com, or reach out if you're curious about their offerings. I'm proud to have many of their bottles on my shelves and love sharing them with friends whenever I can. Thank you to Sam and to the team for joining the Whiskering Podcast as guest and sponsor. And now, a word from our newest sponsor. The most exclusive whiskey in the world can't be bought in a store. Born in Edinburgh, the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society is the world's largest whiskey club, with over 30,000 members worldwide. They bottle each cask of whiskey as is, no diluting, no artificial coloring, or chill filtration. With new whiskeys released every week, the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society offers the opportunity to taste spirits straight from the cask. I've been a member for over two years now, and I've loved the chance to explore my favorite distilleries with truly unique offerings, in particular from distilleries 4 and 53, and discovering new single malts not available anywhere else. Not a Scotch fan? No problem. The Scotch Malt Whiskey Society releases 20-plus bottles each month to its members, including, yes, scotch, but also including gin, bourbon, rum, and more. In fact, my favorite recent bottling was a corn whiskey from the largest family-owned distillery in the U.S., aged 11 years in New Oak and bottled at cast strength. This is a bottling that people have clamored for for years, and it was only available to Scotch Malt Whiskey Society members. If you're interested in joining, the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society has graciously offered a discount to listeners of this podcast. Use code WRP, short for Whiskey Ring Podcast, at checkout for 20% off an annual membership at smwsa.com. That stands for Scotch Malt Whiskey Society of America. I will also be putting the link and code in my bio and show notes for this and upcoming episodes. Thank you to the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society for joining the Whiskering Podcast as our newest sponsor, and please visit smwsa.com with code WRP for 20% off your annual membership. Of course, and, and just like it was like, you know, there's no gotcha questions, no trying to break NDAs or anything of course. like that. Um, it's more for me, I, I've gotten to try a couple of things recently where it, they're all much smaller. They're all very small distilleries or NDPs, mm-hmm. and uh, they'll say, you know, where the winery was that the particular bourbon or rice is finished in. And um, while I understand that's not always possible, it's not always um, legally possible, let alone practically possible. Right. Um, there. There is something fun to, uh, you know, say with this, for an example, if you were, let's assume you knew wh- which one it was, you were able mm-hmm. to say it, uh, we'll throw a name out there. So, you, you know, I'll say it so you don't have to deal with it at all. Um, let's say it's um, it's Hamden Estate. Sure. Uh, so if we were able to say, okay, this is aged in casks that they used at Hampton State to age their five-year-old rums a couple of times. Um, then I can go out and buy the Hampton and taste it alongside this and say, oh, that's where, and also maybe add in a, you know, a five, a four to five-year-old MGP rye. And which I know there's more complicated things than that as well, but just simplifying it for the sake of argument, you can take those two things and taste them uh, as a consumer and say, oh, that's the flavor that I'm getting pure on one side, pure on the other side. And this is where they come together. Yep. Uh, and I know it's not really practical for a lot of places to do that, or most places to do that, especially if they're at a large scale. 
but wherever that is possible, I really enjoy it. Cause then you can say, you know, I, I drank this wine bottle that w- the barrel was used to finish the bourbon and I get it. And I think it's, I just think it's fun. It's, I, I would love nothing more. And that's a big goal of mine. We just need to get Doc Swinson's a little bit bigger so we could say, Hey, we'd love to use your name on our labels or at least be able to tell people. And I try and be really respectful of people in the industry as far as if they're like, Hey, don't use our name. Cause even if there's no actual NDA, it's just like a lot of this industry is still fairly handshake forward, sure. which is great. And I mean, nobody owes us anything. That's for sure. You know, we're not a big player in the game, so it's nice to keep those relationships up. Um, and eventually I imagine some of them might roll over and say, you know what, you're making really good product. You're proving that you're doing so we would be happy to have you use our name. And mm-hmm. so for example, our, our Kiona cask finish, uh, Cabernet cast finish uh, from Kiona Vineyards um, is one where we do absolutely use their name. And we could even directly tell you it's from their, you know, their old block Cabernet uh, uh, vines. So if you were to go to Kiona or maybe get one online or something like that, you could pick up their Cabernet and try it next to, mm-hmm. you know, um, our, our straight bourbon whiskey, our, our blenders cut and say, oh, I do get where some of these flavor profiles are come to. And that is a huge goal of mine one day. Um, I think that's just going to take years. <laughs> I ask every time, like, hey, can I use your name? Uh, and most of them just say, I'm sorry, I'll send it to legal, but uh, you may or may never hear from us again. Um, and it's just, yep. a, it's a respect thing. Um, so I'm hoping to be able to do more of that in the future. Like, for example, I've been working with some some people out of uh, Europe, uh, specifically producers out of Europe that are more interested in putting their name uh, on our bottle as well, because it does. It shows like the ultimate of transparency. So you could pick it up and it's super fun to see where like my mind went. For example, you could you could taste this and be like, oh, I totally see where he's getting this from. It's, it's really not the super complex by any means. It's actually fairly straightforward. Um uh, and then of course, you know, I, it's one thing I, the reason why I actually originally released the mind, body and spirit line under Doc Swinson's, which is the L'Esprit, the cognac finish, the, uh, Lamente, uh, and the, uh, El Cuerpo, which was the, uh, uh, Oloroso and the Pedro Jimenez finish, which makes up triple cast. I released them all separate. So you could see blenders cut all three of them and then triple cast. You could see where I was going with it and why I did it that way. And of course you can always, you know, challenge me, make a blend yourself. I'd love to try I- it. No, I mean, that's, that's what we tried the first time you came on. And uh-huh. I, I love that idea. It's so cool. I love that. Uh, of yeah. course, if you can find a bottle, but <laughs> uh-huh. um, I'd love to make a blending pack for people one day too, or they could buy like a 200 mil of each and then like do their own thing. Um, yeah. But you know, a lot of ideas, not enough time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, it's something I know Bardstown bourbon company is playing around with like mm-hmm. they have the master blender challenge every year. And um they're obviously they're obviously doing a lot bigger scale right now, but yeah, they do a great um, job. Yeah, they they really do. And um, I got to taste their plantation rum finish while I was there, and it's about the well, it's a, it's a Tennessee bourbon, ten year old Tennessee bourbon with like a twenty two month finish, I think, in plantation rum. Wow. And uh, uh, on one case, on one hand, I was impressed because like, okay, as you're saying, you know, you can use the plantation name. Uh, it's they can't use the Tennessee bourbon name, but we all know where it's from. Yep. Um, and uh, and oddly enough, I uh, I did find it pretty balanced, you know, for for a longer aging period, but also a whiskey that has a very distinct flavor to it that I and other people don't necessarily like. Sure. So um, it did work out pretty well. Personally, I like the other release better, like the Ferran, the Chateau de, de la Baud, but. Uh, all, this, all of that is to say that there's, I think that's a, 
a model that I'm sure I know, you know, you're obviously aware of, but it's a model that people can look to be like, you know, Doc Swinson's could be doing that in a couple of years where, you know, you can have your own competition of, you know, give them the mind, body, spirit line and say, do it better or, yep. you know, try to try and beat me. We'll do it. It's like a beat Bobby Flay kind of thing. You know, you'll do it blind against a couple of people and see who comes out. And uh, it could be just really exciting. Person Absolutely. gets their name on a on a ba- on a barrel or something, and um, it gets it gets your name out there even more too, which is is important. You know, you got this distribution in thirty nine states, which is fantastic. Uh, there's still more room to grow. I know you're a small company. I know that's not always, the, as you're saying, not always the product for it. But um, you know, I, I you are one of the companies that I really like to see grow and and reach more people. Um, which again goes back to the why choose this for this location because people might go for one over the other. Um, all right. So I know we're, we're a little over an hour now, so I don't want to keep you too, too long. No worries. Um, I, I do want to go on to, uh, to finish off with the, uh, and have you say it again, the Pinot de Charente? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Okay. It's that last, the last syllable, the uh, instead of. Uh, yep. Yeah. Charente. Yeah. You don't see yeah, the, the, Yeah. 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 Just don't say the, don't say the S at the end. That's kind of how I was remembered. And it's funny. So I actually got my, my, my background, which once again, I'm from the Northwest. I don't have a pedigree in this or anything like that shows goes to show that honestly, anybody that's got a good palate (laughs) and really loves this kind of stuff can do a pretty good job. Um, And uh, so I actually got more of my background in, in uh, brandy distillation uh, humorously enough. So I actually, it's where a lot of my uh, techniques come from uh, is this French distillation techniques. Uh, and blending techniques that's where a lot of the that's where a lot of doc swinson is coming from and, and um solera from spain too yeah absolutely i mean all these things are like yeah. they're all tied together industries right in scotland same thing um and that's where most of my inspirations came from i love the history behind i like production history you know like that show that like how things work back in the day i was mm-hmm. like i was glued to the tv as a child because of that show that was like the one thing um that i just absolutely fell in love with and just because i just like how things work uh, and how things taste even better because it pulls all these different memories and and, and, and different things out of your head and hopefully they're joyous. <laughs> um, and it's funny cause I, I learned a lot about uh, Chirant stills um, and uh, the distill, you know, the stills that are used to make cognac. And for the longest time, I never tied the two together. I thought it was Chirantes or something like that. And it's Chirant. So anyways, it, it just killed me forever until recently. I finally got the name right. So if it makes you feel better, I don't get these right all the time. <laughs> um, uh, speaking of how funny things work, this is one silly thing. I just have to drop it here because it cracks me up. Uh, I did a video on this recently about how to open these bottles <laughs> um, mm-hmm. because they're all wax sealed and there's no tear strip. And believe me, we get emails all the time where people are like with a knife or whatnot. And then they realize mm-hmm. all you have to do is uh, simply just twist it and it just opens and breaks the wax. So it's super simple, but nobody else seems to do this either. I'm like, why not? They're genius. <laughs> and right. uh so if you ever get a bottle, just just grab the cork, twist it with your fingers, and pull out. <laughs> so, so this will this will be something that you can see that um that maybe I'll throw a picture of because it's just it's just hilarious. But um, yeah, there there was an epidemic I think of of bottles that were waxed that either didn't have strips or were just really bad quality wax in some cases, or some people were like. Double and triple waxing to get this really cool effect on top, and you're like, I can't open the fucking bottle. It's and awful. So, yeah, and uh, a lot of that came from the finishing place that we're not going to talk about. So, um, the 
so this group that I'm in, um, called it's called Jews and Booze, because we're a lot of a lot of Jews and we pick barrels. Uh, a guy came up with a really handy device to help, and it's called the bottom oil. Oh, and that's hilarious! It's, it's literally a piece of barrel stave with a serrated thing in it that just goes around and cuts the wax tip off and you can open things so much easier and it's so funny it's brilliant but it's also it works <laughs> that's it works. the thing it works i never you know it's funny i never even that's genius that's absolutely genius and it looks like the the serrated blades deep enough to actually get into the wax crevice or like the crevice where the, the wax is which yeah you don't get that's that's hilarious also the name i mean that's genius i mean yeah it's, it's that's so funny it's so good <laughs> the the best bottle that i I really want to get another one up so I can use it specifically on that is um, Michel Couvreur. Okay. All of their bottles are I mean, they're they're it's whiskey, but they're bottled. They have a wine cork in them and then they're uh, waxed uh, over. Uh, so you, yeah, you have, I, I was literally sitting there with a paring knife just, or I don't know if it was whatever. It was a small blade and I was just shaving off wax levels to try to get to it. And then I find out that it's a cork and I'm like, why would you do this? <laughs> Why would you ever do this? This makes no sense. Um, and this thing would have helped so much. <laughs> yep. Sometimes really cool looking things aren't very, like, it's like one of the biggest things in design, right? Is like, how do you make something that is both aesthetically pleasing and functional? And right. oftentimes you find things that just totally miss the mark. And you're like, I get it. It's gorgeous. Nobody could get in it. Nobody could use it. And... Right. <laughs> um as the as our doc swinson's resident designer which is me <laughs> um i came across this wax like several years ago and fell in love with it instantly it's a little bit fickle uh you have to get the temperatures just right but mm-hmm. um we finally developed our own machinery to deal with that and so they're like like 99 perfect and mm-hmm. literally i was like this is so nice everybody's gonna love it and then we find out every, nobody knows how to open it and we're like shit um, it does say on the back, easy cracking wax, twist to open, but eh, whatever. No, it's teeny. I mean, so we're, we're used we're used to either having the pull tab or the I, um, you know, the knob creek wax that like just crumbles as you yep, pull the pull tab around. Sometimes slices your hand open. I've had a few do that. I'll be honest. Yep. Like what in the world? I think they have new nice wax now though. <laughs> it's gotten <laughs> yeah, it's gotten it. a little better with with the knob creek and the bookers. A little bit better because it's yeah, it was just such a pitch to open. <laughs> it was so <laughs> there, much. I know there was a Reddit thing that was like a whole like it was called like fuck the wax and there's like all these great like rants about how to open the whiskey bottles and how much they hate wax dipping but we all want it because it looks really sexy and it looks great yeah. We're like oh yeah and it, it's also on a practical level for some it's also a level of sealing the of course yeah and tamper evidence is great yeah and I I totally get that and yes of course it looks cool and you know all that too but um, I think. Honestly, the best industry move would probably be if makers was just like, hey, here's our wax recipe. You can't use red. Right. And you can't you let can, it drip. And, and you can't let it drip. You can't <laughs> use red. You can't let it drip. But here's the wax. Because their wax tears beautifully. Yeah. Clean, easy. You know it's sealed, but it comes off. And, um, you know, it would almost be like when um, I think it was Volvo, like developed the the three point seat belt. And yeah, and they gave, gave it to, it to everybody. Is like, here, guys, this will save lives. Right. <laughs> right. 
Yeah, they always say rising tide lifts all boats. Like I think that would be a good thing. You know, rising, you know, give everybody good wax to use. That's and awesome, actually. So I don't know. That's my my rant on that. But or um, baby bell, you know, that cheese company. <laughs> I feel like those on, tear off honestly, really nicely yeah. too. So yeah, on, that's true. <laughs> um, um one one of them, like get a baby bell sponsored bourbon at some point. Just like you know, we could do a, a bourbon and cheese pairing. Why not? Yeah, that could, why that's pretty that's easy. Great. Yeah, that's a great idea. Um, especially, just, especially one that's finished in a wine or something. That'd be great. That could be actually really fun. Yeah. Um, or just, uh, you know, buy a Doc Swinson's because our wax opens. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, yes. I had to throw that They're, sales pitch in there. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. They're, your wax is not going to cut people's fingers off. It's not going to, unless, I mean, unless someone does something stupid yeah. with it, but that's not on you. So just read the label. Easy open. Just twist, just twist the pull. cork. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny um yeah i i like the 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 creation your your uh group came up with everybody came up with this it's, genius <laughs> it's so good it's so good it's also this company um the openers i had never heard of okay. it before apparently huh? it's something but yeah it's brilliant anyway <laughs> that's to the, the product <laughs> yeah. um so th- this was a a um i'm not forgetting it's it's a, a wine fortified wine a Yes, uh, classified as a fortified wine, um, okay. but uh, there's a, there's more often than not the um, uh, so it's, it's it's grape juice um, uh, that is mixed with typically young cognac and then aged in a barrel, um, usually a minimum of eighteen months, um, sometimes mm-hmm. much longer. Um, but uh, sometimes it could be slightly fermented, um, but oftentimes it is not. Um, but uh, as far as I've ever ever heard, it is classified as a fortified wine. Yes. Um, yeah, and I had to look it up when I first it. Yeah, because I'd never, I'd honestly never even heard of it. It's like impossible to find it. Maybe New York. <laughs> I, mean, I feel like you just don't find this been particularly like specialty bottle shops have it. Um, but I think they tend to be like um, a lot more regional, um, kind of like River Salts or, uh, uh, oh, goes it, uh, oh, there's a bunch of things very similar to this. So every, every little like region, you know, in France, they have all their little little aperitif wines and whatnot. So you just have never hear of here unless, or heck, you may never even hear about it if you were in France from one area to the other. So mm-hmm. this, I feel like this is a little more well-known, but still, it's really hard to find these in, in the U.S., at least that I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, when I tried it, I, I first had to look it up and then I texted you. I was like, is this the, like I knew something. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, is this the white or the red one? Oh, absolutely. You know, yes, I, this was a white. Yeah, because because I was totally going to know the difference, of course, and um, it was more just for accuracy and notes. But I was like, mm-hmm. I knew as I was texting, I was like, this is a really dumb question because what if like I don't know what I would have written differently if you said it was the red versus the white. I I I, I haven't tasted either, so what what the hell would I say? This is one that was I mean, um, in particular that I mean I I'm truly barely familiar with myself, so. This was kind of a, Hey, I've, I've always wanted to try this. You know, um, like I said, my more or less my background, my education was in brandy distillation. So I did get to learn about a lot of these products, but once again, it can be really hard to find some of these in the States, you know, and you can order them online or whatnot too and try them. But, you know, it, I wasn't entirely sure what I was actually going to get out of these casks either. Um, so when I was able to get them, um, uh, I just thought the bourbon would be a really beautiful pairing because once again, fortified wines and bourbons tend to go really well together, at least mm-hmm. that I've found. So same with rice, but uh, I, I really like the bourbons with the fortified wines. I think they're a little bit more desserty, a little bit more delicate. Um, 
And this one I was really excited to do um, because it was something I'd read about when I was like 18 or 19, uh, when I was looking into um, uh, Calvados and Palmo. So Palmo is a very similar version uh, of an, but with an apple brandy base, a Calvados base uh, to Pinot de Chiron. So uh, I was really stoked about this because, you know, once again, we have a cognac finish. This is like just another step above, like or step, a level, not step above, uh, another level over here um, with similar products from the same region. Sure. And I really do. I, I, this, so this, yeah, uh, if we didn't note it before, so this one is a bourbon finished mm-hmm. in the Pinot, uh, whereas the two previous ones we talked about were rise. And um, again, I mean, the bourbon does not get lost here. I can, I can clearly taste that a particular mash bill, blend of mash bills, the notes that you would get from MGP are there, but also you get this extra really body is the biggest thing I yeah. get. Not a ton of extra sweetness. Like it's almost like if you had a sauterne finish minus yep. the sweetness. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, I, I wouldn't disagree. I, I sauterne is what I'm working on. So <laughs> yeah. I would be uh, on that list for that one when it comes to, I love sauterne. Sweet. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping to do more of those and, and, and muscatels as well, but yeah, the Pinot de Chiron, Yeah, you definitely get a lot of the uh, Pinot de Chiron characteristics out of it, um, and it does add a ton of body to it. Um, I, I felt like this kind of did what um, the Pedro Jimenez, did, or sorry, the cognac did in our uh, triple cask. Um, although most people don't really taste a lot of cognac in our triple cask, but it adds so much body and length to it that just just it creates this really beautiful like. Uh, um, it's like the primer for the paint. So it's not the sexiest thing. I'm just trying to think off the top of my head. It's like the primer for the paint. Everything else could stick to it really well. And it just kind of blends all the, you know, the rough edges down of the, the Oloroso and the Pedro Jimenez as well. So um, I think it yeah, added some of that. So this was kind of like that. Absolutely. And uh, I got to say my favorite, I've had a couple of products recently that, I mean, nothing aged in this is the only product that I know of that's aged in, in, you know, uh, but had a couple of products recently that were aged with uh, Marsala or Marsala Superiore, yeah. Uh, which I was surprised to find out was a white wine. I, you don't think you know, of it that d- way usually. No, we think of it in a Marsala sauce, which is always uh-huh. like brown with mushrooms and earthy yeah. and all of that. But yeah, it's a fortified white wine. Um, and this kind of reminds me of it too. It's it's a different. There's certainly different flavors. This has a little more apple, whereas the other one is more sultana, golden raisin kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the feeling I'm getting. Is very similar where it has that extra body oh, that just sweeps in underneath and and lets the other flavors uh pop and whereas as you said the bourbon when it's finished it can go a little more desserty and go a little sweet it's not overly sweet and the the good um marsala finishes that i've that i've had recently used either they they used a couple of a couple of bourbons arise in there uh, so, you know, the one I'm, I'm thinking of right now and I have on my desk is um, Yellowstone bourbon, uh, limited edition from this year. Oh, neat. Yeah. I, I'm you curious. Know, it's, it's, I, I'll, um, I'll have a friend bring you some um, if you'd like. I'd um, love to. So, I, I don't always get my hands on some of these sweet finishes. So. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it's it's something that I is really unique because I, I hadn't really had a Marcelo finish before. And then I had two right off the bat, like next to each other. It was this one. Oh, and I, I, I don't remember the other one. Off the top of my head, but anyway, this one uh, had a seven, a fifteen, and a sixteen-year-old bourbon in it, and the um, all from different distilleries, 
a thing. And these only the seven-year-old was finished in the Marsala cask. Um, I don't think it says how long, uh, not in the bottle. Um, I don't think it says how long. Uh, no, it doesn't say how long it was finished, but only the seven-year-old portion of it was finished, which means that you had a, oh, interesting. you know, a relatively younger bourbon in comparison to mm-hmm. the other two, not a young bourbon by any means, but younger no. than 15 or 16. And by having just that portion finished in the Marsala, the, um, I know, um, Stephen Bean was able to, to blend it to a point where you could control the Marsala sweetness while adding that body to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's kind of the the reverse, whereas, you know, you might add, have the, the one bourbon or the one rye start and then add one or two, uh, finishes or three finishes in the triple cast version, he's taking one finish, but for three components or one component of the three. Yep. So I'll definitely have you taste it because I'd really love to know, to hear your thoughts on it and you know, what, what that came to. And if I can remember I what the other one is, I'll, I'll, um, get that one to you too, because they were. I haven't seen my, again, I haven't seen these finishes before and suddenly two popped up at the same time. And same I was like, that time. can't be coincidence. That's really, but that's actually really neat. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but so that, that brings me, I think, to um, the, the question I wanted to, to end on. It's a big question. Um, so, you know, take as much or as little time as you want on this. Um, I mentioned it earlier, but I think we're at a better place to ask it now. Yeah. Which I is. I remember. Yeah, which is like, what do you see in the state of American finishing or finishing American whiskeys now, as opposed to, let's say, a year ago? And where do you see it going? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so um, I think actually you already touched on this a little bit and I don't disagree. Um, I think um, over the last couple of years, primarily either people who really believe that there's like a, a future for finished whiskeys have really taken a lot of time, I think, to experiment and understand what those look like to them to produce a, a high quality product, something that I think will change the mind, the minds of a lot of um, uh, purists and say, okay, this actually is really good. I'm not just saying just, just purists, but, you know, just more people to invite them into drinking whiskeys. You know, I mean, for example, our, our triple cask really tends to, um, Bode incredibly well with wine drinkers, actually, who normally don't like whiskeys at all. Um, uh, at least that's what I have found, which is pretty unique. So it's an interesting, like, it's a gateway. I like making gateway products for people to be like, oh, you don't like rye? Try the Solera method. It's got all these sure. other flavors and that might, you might really like this rye. Um, and then it hopefully maybe they'll dive into the world of rye at some point in time. Um, I like changing people's perspectives a bit. Um, so I think there's a, there's a group of us, Doc Swinson's being one of them, of course, and some of you've already mentioned on the show that are doing a, a pretty exceptional job at trying to figure out what, what um, actually can define finished whiskey as, as, as a really good product. Um, and I think that's changed a lot over the years. I mean, I think one of the first finished whiskeys I ever tried, I was maybe, I was 21 actually. Um, and it was really good, but I've gone back to try it again and uh, it's fine. <laughs> um, at the time it was really good because it was something unique and new and I was into it. I was 21, um, I'm 31 now for the record. So 10 years later. And I mean, those are basically unheard of then. I mean, even a couple of years ago, they were relative unheard of the exception of some of the, you know, the, you know, like the angels envies, for example. Um, and I think now, or I think in the past it's been, there's a lot, well, there's a lot more distilleries just producing finishing products because it was like a fad. Um, so it was like, let's check the box. Okay. What's popular right now. Sure. Rosé, let's do it. Chardonnay, let's do it. Cognac, why not? You know, whatever. 
Um, I think there's a lot of examples of those in the market, and there has been a lot of those in the past. Whereas now, I think we're getting to the point where we can actually define. We can basically like, separate those of the what's the old saying, the weak from the chaff, or whatever. Sure. <laughs> let's yeah, let's let's take these ones and say, okay, thanks for trying, and you know, and maybe they work for some people totally, but I think there's a pretty there's more of a defining line between okay, finishing cast can be really really good, and we can see how they can actually um, influence the whiskeys itself and. It's one reason why I think Doc Swinson's we took uh, a specific route, which was how do we more subtly, how do we use these finishing casts to influence our bourbon, not make it the, you know, the, the center of attention. You know, it's not the, the, the Pedro Jimenez, it's not the center of attention, it's the bourbon. And here's how we layered in these really unique flavors. And a lot of that was because we're working with, at the time, a little bit younger whiskeys, right? Five, four or five years old. Um, compared to some of our counterparts that were all aging stuff and that, you know, it's like finished all in 10, 12, 13, 14, 15 year bourbons. Well, we didn't have access to that for not a lot of it. Um, so that's what helped define ours. Um, so in a nutshell, I think it's getting better. I think a lot more of the products that I've tried off the shelf that are finished are um, having more of a focus and more of an attention behind them, which, which is really cool to see. Um, I'd hate for it to, you know, you know, take a, take a dive, kind of like, I feel like American hard ciders did. <laughs> I mean, hard ciders are amazing for the record. You just have to find the right ones. And I yeah. feel like when they got popular, they got trashed real quick and mm-hmm. just a personal opinion, uh, no doubt in the back of this. Um, and I, I feel like they're starting to like creep back up and like, here's some really good ones. Cause we now started growing good cider varietals in some areas. Um, mm-hmm. So I feel like Finnish whiskey kind of did a similar path. Uh, maybe not quite as drastic as, as hard ciders. Um, and I think they're, they're, they're growing in popularity. Um, the, particularly what, what are, I think most people would associate the good ones. Um, I would like to see it be maybe a little bit more defined in the future personally. Um, so for example, and, and once again, we all have our different methods to making it. And in the grand scheme of things, I don't know if you really like something, you should enjoy it. That, that's really just, that's, that's my rule of thumb there, but I can sure. be a little bit persnickety about like how I finish my products versus how some of my competitors finish their products, um, which we don't have to get into, but that's to each their own. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not the, you know, the like, perfect purist about exactly how everything goes either. Um, but, uh, uh, I think there's a lot of beauty in, in, being intentional behind what you're looking for and trying to source um, the, the best ingredients that you can to to compile your your finished dish, so to speak. So to the best of your ability, of course. You know, we all have limitations. But, yeah. So and I think it's getting better, <laughs> and I think it's worth diving into and trying if you haven't. I I 100% agree. Um, I was hoping you would say exactly that, and you and you used the word that I was also hoping to hear, which was intentional, and. Yeah. Um, that has that's becoming a rolling theme over um, this episode and, and a couple of ones previous. And I'm getting to a point where there will be an episode just all about intentionality or a couple of them. Well, that's awesome. Um, uh, yesterday I had on um, Monique Houston uh, mm-hmm. from Winebow. Um, I didn't realize how many brands are under that. That is a lot. <laughs> um, but but I, I ostensibly had her on to talk about um, Sherry because... I've gotten to try sherry a couple of different types. I got to try, try like a side-by-side of, um, I, th- I want to say it was either Fino or Amontillado and then Oloroso and Pedro Jimena. And I got to try those three and it gave me a better appreciation for the whiskeys that are finished in those because now I can taste what that actually is. goes back to the whole, you know, can you taste the vineyard that that wine finish was from or, or the rum finish, you know? And 
<clears throat> the we ended up on a on a tangent of intentionality. And that's probably going to come up on a conversation that I'm going to tease now because I think it is actually happening about um, tasting panels and how, you know, normally they're done blind, but doing them blind also removes the intentionality. It removes, or it removes the context of intentionality. Like if you don't know what the person was intending or the distiller was intending to create and you try to evaluate that in a vacuum, what does that evaluation really mean? I guess the first thing to say would be, I think there is use in doing blind tasting. Obviously, it removes some bias from uh, those who are, who are judging it, for example, especially against other people's products. Um, you know, people have their taste of what they're used to or what they think is, is best, and they might kind of stick with that. But I, I, I honestly, they'll probably stick with that whether they <laughs> are tasting it blind or not to some degree, right? We have different interests. <laughs> Um, I think the one question you can ask when you're doing a blind tasting for certain is, do you like it or not? And I think that's a really simple measure. Um, for example, I mean, I'll do that when I, when I usually try and taste something first. Um, I don't usually want to know all the details right off the bat. Um, I just want to say, do I like it? Yes, no. Can I see where I could use this? Yes, no. Um, and that's more where my, my mind goes as a blender. Um, I've never really done a whole lot of blind tasting panels or anything like that. Definitely not with any of the, uh, uh, competitions, large competitions out there, uh, but I think uh, my answer might change a little bit if I if I did. Um, but I do think in order to really understand and give I think a good review um, of a product is you have to to some degree understand the intentionality behind it, or at least maybe you know understand the process or the end goal. Um, and if you can understand, especially the end goal, for example, um, I think you'll be in a much better place. And I think you could take that with a lot more um, validity um, as, as, a, as a listener or a consumer. Um, I guess to tie that more back towards docs, for example, when we first started producing our alter ego, you know, triple cask and Solera method, um, back, what, about a year and a half, almost two years ago now, um, you know, some people would, would taste it and they say, well, okay, I get that it's... It's whiskey, sure, absolutely. It's really good whiskey. We we like the flavor, everything about it, but I can't necessarily tell if I could taste all the cognac in there, um, or the Oloroso sherry, or the Pedro Jimenez sherry. And the goal wasn't necessarily um, for you to do that. I think that's something that was really interesting for us to kind of contend with. Is one, I always kind of felt like we were going in an uphill battle a little bit when it comes to finishing whiskeys. Period. And then two, most of what's been out on the market so far has been. Um, Finnish whiskeys that have a heavier emphasis on the Finnish cask. So, for for example, you know, if if a, if a bourbon was finished in a Pedro Jimenez cask, uh, more often than not, I find that they're kind of like Pedro Jimenez bombs. Like it's a lot of Pedro Jimenez in there, and more of like the backing of whiskey. Um, and that's not the direction that um, I wanted, and and what we wanted as Doc Swinsons to do. We wanted to utilize these finishing casks primarily as a methods of um, teasing out or layering in specific flavor profiles that we think would be um, really beneficial and add to our base whiskeys. Because um, after all, it still says straight bourbon whiskey or straight rye whiskey on the label, and that is the primary ingredient. That's what we are making here. We are making whiskeys. Um, otherwise, maybe just go buy a bottle of cognac or, or Pedro Jimenez, for example. And that's just the way we took it. Um, doesn't mean anybody else is, is wrong um, by any means. So I think it's, I think if you understood what we are shooting for or what we are shooting for when you pick up a, dollar, a bottle of Doc Swinson's, 
and you say, oh, I get it, this is bourbon whiskey, but oh wow, there's all these different flavor profiles in there that layer in, create complexity or create body um, to, to what is our, our base bourbon um, is incredibly helpful uh, when coming up with, a, a, I think, a, a well-rounded evaluation. Um, so I think there's validity in both blind um, tastings and um, tastings that have more intentionality, which is where, you know, we kind of get with the juxtaposition of blind tasting panels, period, which we listen to more often than not because it's simple to understand, like, here's a, a point award system, you get a gold, a medal, uh, et cetera. And then you also have people such as yourself, David, where you're doing a review and it's an in-depth review on one one brand or one product and you get to talk to the producers. And I think if you were really interested as a consumer, you would take the time to, to learn a little bit about both sides um, because I think there there is a lot of validity in both. Um, and that, that that's just being a well-rounded consumer and understanding what you're, what you're tasting. No, I, I appreciate the answer because I, I, and the kind of um, spontaneous nature of it, that's what I was hoping for. Yeah. Because I know you there, there's a value to it. Like you said, there's a value to these awards and the panels because especially if you're a smaller company and you start winning these awards, people notice and you get more attention and people mm-hmm. hope, you know, if you're a brand like, like Dr. Swinson, like you're getting deserved attention. Some of them, maybe not so much, but like you guys are getting deserved attention and getting more notoriety. Uh, but there is that question of, yeah, like how, how are they tasting things? How are the, how do you know? And how can you, how can you possibly evaluate something if all you know about it is that it's a rye, you know, like how do you, yeah. com- how would you compare even your own products? Like how would you compare the um, Trace Amigos with Funky Drummer side by side? Like, could you evaluate those fairly? You know, I, I honestly, I, this is kind of funny. I never have had the intention of trying them all side by side as thinking I should compare them to each other. What is better than the other? I think it's like one of those things where, you know, you don't pick a favorite kid. So for me, I try and stay away from that question entirely. Um, I have ones right. that I tend to like more and I do know that I'm um, like, I, 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 you know, might like drinking this one more often, but for me, it's like contextual drinking. So if I, you know, I'm in this situation, this is what I want to try in this situation. This is what I want to drink. Um, but ultimately I've never really thought of it in such an interesting way. So, you know, this question is going to ruminate for a long time in my head. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, I mean, I, I look at these two casts really and, and I think about like, you're, you know, it's the same, let's assume it's the same base rye Yep. That you, and, but you're using, you know, two different rums, mm-hmm. two, two different rum, profiles i should say because one is strictly jamaican the other one is from multiple areas so two different rum profiles plus this other one also has the tequila in it as well so for for me what i've started to transition to when doing like notes and ratings and things like that is less about like if i were to put these two things next to each other which one is better or which one even makes better use of the rye because that's still a false comparison uh, better use of the rum rather because that's still a false comparison it's different rums mm-hmm. yep and it's more about this says that it's a rye whiskey finished in jamaican rum casks that comes with an expectation and you also have what you put on the label and the website as to what you intend for this product to be what you intend the tasting notes to be does it achieve that and that's kind of how i started to rate and review things is does it meet the expectation that the distiller or producer is creating for the product does it achieve what it's what you as a producer are saying it should achieve for the consumer and just 
making that the scale rather than just, you know, I still have the, is it good? Is it not good part of it? But I, yes, I stopped doing the side by sides because they just weren't fair comparisons. No. And actually I, I've actually, this is, this is great. I love hearing that um, because I, I wouldn't disagree. I used to get that question a lot. Like, how do you think this could be, you know, once again, angels envy rye, right? Let's finish in Rumcast sure. versus doc Swinson's. When I first started doing Solar method, that question popped up all the time. Cause we were at least on a more, a little bit larger scale to some degree. Um, there's what, maybe three or four of us doing it that you could find more commonly. You know, there's, I'm sure other small distilleries or NDPs doing too. Um, and I'd get that question all the time. And I'm like, they're just different worlds. You know, this is, yeah. I mean, sure, they're both rise, they're both finished. I'm sure they're both fruits, but one's a cucumber and one's an orange, whatever. I mean, they're considerably different. And, mm -hmm. I, you know, I think there's, there's qualities um, in almost everything that I taste that I can pick out that I enjoy. And there's qualities that also, you know, I don't like uh, as well, but I think once again, for me, it's more contextual. It's like, okay, am I sitting by a fire with the, you know, a, during the holidays or something like that? Yeah. Maybe it's dessert. Maybe I want a little angels envy and, or am I, you know, hanging out on the boat in the summer or by a bonfire on the beach. Solera method really does a great job. You know, like I think it just depends yeah. on what you're interested in, in that moment. And so I don't usually love answering those questions because one, I'm biased. I make it. <laughs> that's just, Fair. let's just be honest. That's not a great point. Um, and it's like back to the same thing. Do you vote for yourself as a candidate or not? <laughs> right. Um, you know, it could, you could pick that one apart on however you want. So um, I, I really like the scale that you kind of came up with. Sure. Is it good or not? That's hands down. I think the first thing, and then, yeah. How it does it meet the expectation of the producer? Um, and yeah, all of these ones, I can tell you, at least for Doc Winston's have met my expectation. And I think all of us as a team here at Doc's too, that's why we put our name on it. Um, you know, I mean, we mm -hmm. don't hand sign them all anymore because there's way too many, our hands would fall off. Uh, but that is our signatures. The four of us that, 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 uh, make Doc's function, uh, at least on the, this side of things, um, all sign it for a reason. We have intention behind it and we believe our name can be attached to it because it's, you know, it's a part of us and we like good whiskey. <laughs> sure. Yeah. You don't, um, you don't want to put a crap product. No, yeah. and I don't, I frankly don't like my name. I don't want my name attached to that. I don't know. I, I have pride in, in what I, you know, me and what I accomplish and, and I'm, sure. I'm sure my business partners do too. So I, that's an interesting scale. I like that. And yeah, I don't know. I can't mm -hmm. say that I normally go in like, oh, this is what this should taste like. Once again, I'm not trying to mimic anybody else's either. So no, it's fine. That's I, not I my goal. I don't know if someone else is doing that too. And if they are, like I'm not copying. It's kind of a parallel evolution kind of thing. But yeah. Um, like you to your point, you've put your name or at least the Doc Swinson's name on the product. You've put it out to market. So to me, as a consumer and as a reviewer, that also says, okay, this is where they want it to be. Otherwise, as the example was with uh, you know, overfinishing with the rum, you're not gonna put it out. And yep. I have to assume that's kind of the one of the, the one assumption I'll make is I have to assume that if a product is out on the market or it's sent to me or it's available for people to try, that it's where the producer wanted it to be before putting it to market. Because otherwise you have if you if you can't assume that, then you have to think, what's their quality standard? Yeah. When why would you even do that? So I have to make that one assumption that you know, if it's out on the market, that it's where it should be. It's where you want it to be. And that's what I'll evaluate against. That 
that's a great evaluation. I because I couldn't have said it better. Honestly, I that's hundred percent what we do. We we think Docs we'd like Docs Winston's to be more of a you know it's it's long term. It's a household name. We've been doing Docs Winston since two thousand seventeen. I know that's short compared to most of the people out there, but I mean our goal is to keep 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 making really great product. We have no intention of changing that. And so hopefully it's a, you know, it's a name you all can trust. And I, I think we're starting to prove that in general. Um, yeah. I, I think just from my standpoint, and yes, I'm a little biased because I do like your products quite a bit. And, <laughs> um, I'm not biased by the fact that I get um, samples. It's more about the fact that I really do enjoy it. Like I'll, if I enjoy something enough, like I love the Pinot enough that I'm going to find someone who can get me a bottle of it. Um, and maybe one of, one of the others, cause I got to, you know, keep the collection down a little bit, but so I can't get everything, but I'll, I'll put my money where my review is. Like if I really like something, I went, when I went down to Kentucky, I got sent a sample earlier of, of that Yellowstone finish. I went and got a bottle because I liked it that much. And if I like something that much, I'll go back it up. And, um, you know, just as much as you would back up your product, I'm going to back up a review and just say, yeah, I really like to go get a bottle. I'm going to go get one myself. Yeah. We're lending credibility and trust in this. I mean, essentially this is a chain, which is really cool, right? I mean, it's, yeah. it's, we, we, we have, we believe our products are great and that's why they're in a bottle. Um, Cause it, it fits our stamp and what we want of approval. Um, otherwise, yes, we wouldn't release it. And absolutely we have proof that we haven't released things because it didn't fit that. And then of course we, you know, there's competitions are saying, yes, this is a good product it is worthy mm -hmm. to buy a bottle. And then we have people such as yourself who are like, yeah, I stand by my review because I want to be a credible person um, to my consumer because who wants to lead somebody down the wrong path? Um, sure. sure, there's some of that out there, but no, that's not that's not a long game kind of thing here. And this is stuff that I think whiskey whiskey or spirits drinkers in general, you know, like ones that really like it, people who are willing to, you know, who are listening to these podcasts or buying these products and supporting this, um, mm -hmm. you know, they want to make sure they get a good bottle too. Um, sure. so it's, it's like a big family. <laughs> so Absolutely. once again, it's a nice chain of credibility, uh, which is, which is super cool. Uh, we Absolutely. couldn't do it without it. <laughs> and I think that's, you know, it's a great way to, to start closing out. And I think just the last point I wanted to throw to you was that, um, I, and this is, it's what you guys do. It's the, the blending, the finishing, um, and really taking the base product and making it elevating it in some way. I don't want to say making it better because that's not the intention. It's to elevate it and add something into it. And, um, you know, by not doing the um, coconut marshmallow raspberry finish on something, but really taking a look at this rum works best with the rye, this blend of rums or the Sanejo or uh, some of the other ones we didn't talk about, the Tawny Port with the bourbon, the Moscatel with also the bourbon. I almost rubbed off that label. Um and the uh, rye in the Scotch quarter cask, uh, you know, I'll, I'll try to put out my my notes for all of them if I can around when the episode's going to drop. But the the point is that they're they're real finishings, and take the word "real" to mean whatever you want, but they're mm -hmm. real finishings that are intentionally finished, not just to get some weird flavor in there, but because you think that it works best with that whiskey. And again, without being overly biased. I appreciate that as a consumer and know that even if I don't like every finish you do, I can trust that, as you said, I can trust that there's purpose behind it and you wanted it to be that way and there will be a consumer for it. So, uh, you know, with that, 
I really look forward to what you guys are doing next too. Um, got any Armagnac finishes on the way? Uh, working on it, working on it. And some of these okay. are going to be kind of like the long game here because I got a lot of plans for, mm. for those. And I, like I said, I like to, if I can, leave them in castle as long as possible. It helps me understand how they develop really beautifully. <laughs> fair, fair. Um, and we also yes. mentioned earlier too, the, the rye and the Calvados. That makes a yes. really, really good pairing. Yep. Um, all all things to come. We're going to do another podcast, I swear, when we get all these yeah. sweet, awesome flavor profile or uh, uh bottlings ready to go so you're um, one of my you're one of my standing invite guests whenever you got something new you want to talk about or come on you're you've got a spot thank you david i really appreciate so, this one this is this is awesome i like the just down to earth good conversation so that's how it should be how it should be <laughs> True. Um, well jesse um in the meantime you know i'll post all the links to to uh doc swinson's where you can find it the pages social media all of that in the show notes to this episode um post my own reviews for the products that you sent as well um definitely make sure to if you're listening make sure to follow uh doc swinson's on especially personally i love on instagram um you get to see all the, the <laughs> yeah see all the videos of uh of what you're doing and walking through different products and trying things and um i really enjoy watching those uh, really every day. I mean, you're pretty consistent. You put out one, I think about every day or close to it. Uh, I'm trying. They ebb and flow. It's it's not my strong yeah. suit. It's, humorously enough, I virtually have a degree in social media marketing, at least what it was back <laughs> in the early 2000s. And uh, I'm working back into it. <laughs> took a <That's> hiatus. <laughs> I've, I've, learned, I've learned almost everything about social media that I know just in the year and a half plus that I've been doing this podcast because the that I just had to learn on the job. It's what we got to do. Yep. Um, so all those will be in the show notes. Make sure to follow. Um, I'll also post that map. So yes, give um, Scott. You said his name. So close. Yes, yeah, Steve. I got to give him props because he's going to love that. Yeah, give him the props. I will post um, a screenshot of that along with the uh, reviews and when that goes live, so you can see where things are available. Um, if they're not available in your state, check the website. See if you can get it shipped there. Um, if not, find a good friend that you like and get it to your to you legally. And um, I'll leave it at that. And um, other than that, Jesse, thanks so much for coming back on. It's been a blast. Yep, dude. Always a pleasure. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Looking forward to next time. Absolutely. Hold on with me for just a sec. Of course. All right. See you guys next week. <laughs>